This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Thursday, December 19th, 2019. My guest is Rich Woods of Neowin. Hi, Rich. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm awesome. I mean, you know, it's winter, it's gray and <laughs> rainy, but podcasts always cheer me up. So yay to that. Me too. I'm particularly <laughs> excited about this. Yeah, I think we have a lot of really cool stuff to talk about today. So yeah. for the listeners, hang tight. We're going to talk about phones. There's a lot of interesting little phone tidbits. Hmm. But as you know, we live in a mobile world where sometimes you need a larger device to do work. And today we're going to talk laptops, two-in-ones, tablets, that kind of stuff. So that's why I have Rich on. And specifically, the two devices we're both testing right now, or you've been testing for a little longer than me, are the Surface Pro X from Microsoft. And we're also looking at an HP laptop, which we'll tell you about later. Yeah, the Surface Pro X. So here's the thing. Remember how I told you I was particularly interested to hear what you think about this? Because yeah. I compared this to like an Intel Y series PC. And Intel Y-Series, right? That's the 5-watt the dual-core, very underpowered, but it's made for fanless and light PCs. And yeah. the thing is that they're not any cheaper, though. They're just very underpowered. They're, for, they're meant for portability. You are the only person that I know are you going to shame me? Are you, you going to shame me about this? <laughs> no, I'm not shaming you, <laughs> okay. but, th but that's why I really wanted to hear your opinion on the Surface Pro X because you're you're used to using this this type of very light ultra portable PC. Because like uh, if you have an Acer Swift 7 or something, you can install Adobe Premiere Pro on it, but you you can't run it. It's it's almost useless. I don't know how it is on cuz you use a 12 12 inch MacBook. So so I want, I want to hear what you think between comparing the, the MacBook to the Surface Pro X. Sure. Well, so, okay, my MacBook, uh, my MacBook's a bit of a bad reference. It's the first generation of the 12-inch MacBook, like when they first came out. Right. So they updated the processor, I think, a year into it or two years into it or something. And so I don't know if that makes a difference. I hear from people that it's a little bit more zippy. Mine has always been a little sluggish. But I came from an 11-inch MacBook Air Core i7 of 2013 or 14. Right. So I had a two-year-old MacBook Air 11 fully loaded, and I went to basically the top skew of the 12-inch MacBook at the time. So I've got a 512 SSD. I've got 8 gigs of RAM. That gives you an idea where I'm at. And whatever that weird Intel chip that's in the MacBook 12, I don't know what it is. You probably know better. <laughs> it's the Core M. It's, it, it's, it's the Y series, yeah. which it's... It's extremely low power, I think it's called. And then like a standard laptop would have a 15-watt U-series processor, which is just, I think, called low power. So to, just to be clear, for those of you who are not following because you haven't been listening to the podcast long, I've been using this laptop as my travel, like go-to trade show. Like basically when I'm going somewhere, I'm on the go. This is the laptop I have with me. And so... um. From day one, the MacBook was, I felt a little slower than my 11-inch Core i7 Air, but it didn't feel mm -hmm. too much slower. And I think the big deal here is think about web applications, right? I'm in Firefox or Chrome. I don't use Safari. I know that Safari is way more optimized for the Mac OS in the sense of, mm -hmm. of battery life, but I've never been a big fan. So I've always used either Firefox or Chrome. Usually Firefox because Chrome is a huge hog. And I like Chrome a lot because my entire world is in Google. So of course, I sometimes nice to have it, you know. And that's the tough thing with the Surface Pro X, I know. We'll get to that. We'll get yet. to that. So yeah. 
all these roads lead to the Surface Pro X. So the 12-inch MacBook from day one, I felt like, okay, it's a little bit, but it was really hard to quantify. It wasn't really that the things were loading slower because there's a very fast SSD. In fact, I think the SSD in this is faster than the SSD in my 11 Air was. And over time, honestly, the performance of this MacBook has not degraded, but websites and applications are wanting more power, right? So I'm starting to feel the crunch a little bit now. But it's a testament to both... Uh, the app developers and Apple that five years in, I'm still using this thing and it's still perfectly usable. There are a few tricks, right? There are a few tricks. So first of all, number one is I cannot run more than 10 tabs in each browser at the same time. So that's fine. That's manageable. 10 times is reasonable. Like I know that if I want to do heavy lifting, I go to my iMac, right? And I go open like 50 tabs and that's fine. So as long as I keep the number of tabs low and Chrome, of course, is a hog. So of course I run Firefox primarily. And honestly, Firefox runs quite well on the MacBook. Um, video editing, I actually use... So, you know, unfortunately, like a few years back, I tried I tried Premiere. I taught myself Premiere and I tried and taught myself Final Cut. And so I decided on Final Cut because... Really? Uh, yeah, so it's interesting because honestly, they, they both have their strengths and weaknesses, but my first video editing experience came using iMovie. So obviously very easy, but I find that Final Cut is actually much closer to iMovie in, in its kind of way of thinking and everything. Obviously, same company made it, right? I wouldn't yeah, be surprised that... I know Apple acquired the company who made Final Cut and then eventually, I'm sure they created iMovie using people that worked on Final Cut. So that's probably why. But the other problem I have with Premiere is that it's dog slow. <laughs> like If I oh. render on my iMac 27-inch and Premiere versus rendering on my Mac 27-inch iMac with Final Cut, it's a night and day for me. I don't know why. I don't have the latest, to be clear, I don't have creative cloud i'm using an old creative suite like whatever the last version was of that so it's probably not the most optimized version of premiere but anyway the reality is i will not run these on my macbook i do run final cut every now and then on my macbook and it's actually okay and caveat here i don't shoot at 4k i shoot at 1080p so everything's 1080p 1080 projects so 1080p it can handle 4k it can still do it but it starts to struggle uh, rendering though is never the issue. Rendering is just time consuming, but it doesn't bog down the computer in any way. It's just slow. So I tend to try to work on my iMac if I can. I have a Mac mini as well that I use sometimes and it's obviously a little better than the MacBook. But honestly, the iMac is where I do all my heavy lifting for video. So if I have to like, if I'm at a trade show and I do want to do a quick edit of video or something, I actually just use the, the MacBook 12 with, um, believe it or not, with iMovie. It just works for basic stuff. It's just fine. Um, sure. But I can use Final Cut on this five-year-old MacBook 12, and I'm okay. So the problem is that it's hard when we talk about the Surface Pro X because I don't have Final Cut. I, I can try to install that old version of, of Premiere that I have, but then it's 32-bit Intel emulated, so I'm not even going to try to do that. I don't think that's a right. s- smart thing. So switching gears, that's that's my workflow. That's my <laughs> environment. And to be honest you know, with all of you listeners and the people, and you, Rich, know this already, I use Chromebooks a lot. Like I don't just use yes. my MacBook. If I'm reviewing another laptop, usually and I travel, I take it with me as well. Like in my second bag, like not the bag that's like my go-to where all my important stuff is. So I leave the MacBook in that. But if I have like in my hotel room and I want to do some anything, editing, whatever, obviously I can't do video editing on a on a Chromebook. But if I want to do some work, I generally leave a laptop in the hotel room kind of permanently set up. And that's the one I use. And sometimes it's a Windows one. Sometimes it's a Chromebook. So I don't just use... Uh, Mac OS, just to be clear for the listener, the audience, the people who don't know. I think the people who listen to this show long enough know. 
And so, you know, I've been very intrigued since day one about ARM-based laptops. And it started with the Chromebooks, right? right? Like uh, Samsung made an ARM-based Exynos-based 12-inch, 11-inch, whatever it was, Chromebook, like five years ago? Right, there were a few. Remember, like the very first really thin and light one that Sundar Pichai himself announced at a press event in San Francisco. I was still at Engadget then. It was like, so it's got to be 2012. Those were exciting. And that was back when they were talking about LTE on Chromebooks too, which yeah. I don't think anyone's doing anymore. And, and so we're now going to give you a history lesson, folks. And so, Rich, <laughs> you can take it from there because you can talk us through the whole Qualcomm 835, Windows 850. Yeah, Windows on ARM. Go, go nuts. So, so Windows on ARM was something that Qualcomm and Microsoft announced at Tech Summit in 2016. Um, they didn't start actually shipping devices until 2017 at Tech Summit as well, which was the Snapdragon 835 devices. So those came from Asus, HP, and Lenovo. And they were, I, did you ever use any of those? I never did get the 835. So I have no okay, point of reference. Okay, they were awful. I hear they were awful. Mostly they, they were they, awful. I remember being at this Qualcomm Snapdragon Summit in two, the first year they did it, 2017. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they showed the Asus one and the HP one. And I was like, okay, the HP one's not what I want because I'm not a fan of tablets that have a fabric keyboard attachment like ipads right uh, i like like yoga 360 style two-in-ones and then the mm. asus was like just look like some you know uh, generic like i don't know Gen reference design you laptop. know that, that right. they're like oh let's recycle this window chassis uh, so like yeah. really well, they were all kind of recycled models. All of them had their Intel variants as well. So the, the second generation was the Snapdragon 850, which was based on the 845. And then last year at Tech Summit, they announced the Snapdragon 8CX chipset, which is meant to be on core with an Intel Core i5. And that, that was supposed to be it. So we don't have any of those devices yet. Uh, the Samsung Galaxy Book S is delayed right now i believe it's coming in january or february also lenovo has something called project limitless which is the first five yeah, we saw that RPC. at computex right uh yeah they don't actually have a name for it though i think they're going to announce that at ces okay. i suspect um and then of course microsoft has the surface pro x which has what they're calling a custom chipset called the microsoft sq1 and really what the sq1 is is it's it's an overclocked 8cx um, is there more differences like cache and RAM speed or something? I thought there was. Um, I'm not sure. Okay. I do, the thing is, Microsoft doesn't publish a spec sheet for this chipset. <laughs> of course not. Uh, right. So <laughs> my, Qualcomm publishes spec sheets for all of their chipsets, so it would be very easy to put them side by side if Microsoft did, but they don't. So I've asked at least about, I'd say about 15 different people what the differences between these chipsets are, and and I've gotten very few answers. The Microsoft guys say to ask Qualcomm, the Qualcomm guys say to ask Microsoft, and then everybody else says we're not saying. So I, I the answer is I don't know. So how does the 850 fit in there? Yes, and that by the way, that's a common misconception that I see all the time, which is that the the people think that the 850 is based on the 855. No. It's not. It's based on the 845. That's right. And um, so that that was when they announced the 8CX last year. That was meant to continue existing as a sort of uh, mainstream mid-range type of chip, but it's gone now because this year at Tech Summit, they announced the Snapdragon 7C and 8C. Um, the 8C replaces the 850 com completely in that mainstream range, and the 7C is for entry level. Right. And 
I'm really excited about the seven C. I don't know about oh, you. Oh, the seven C is the one. Um, so, so yeah. let's just uh, rewinding a little bit. Um, in case you're wondering about all this Qualcomm announcements, mm-hmm. I had a podcast two episodes ago, episode one forty. That's all about that. I actually had Alex okay. Katusian of Qualcomm on the show. We talked at length about that. So rewind and check that out. So yeah, the chronology is a bunch of Chromebooks with ARM-based chips back way back with and more Chromebooks since. And then this big push, Microsoft and Qualcomm getting together, trying to bring Windows 10 on ARM. But unlike Windows RT back in the day, this we're talking about full-blown Windows 10 that can emulate 32-bit 32-bit apps. Yes. And this is the key you have to hear because you're going to continue hearing about this for a lot of the show. <laughs> 32-bit Intel apps can be emulated, but not 64-bit apps, okay? And then if Not you, yet. Correct. And then if you want to run native, if you want to run native apps, you need to recompile them for 64-bit ARM, of course, because these are 64-bit ARM chips. And so the succession has been the 835 uh, special chip for like what they call ACPCs, always connected PCs. And then there's was the 850, which was based on the 845, not to be confused with the 855, which is a mobile chip for phones. And then there was this 8CX, and then now there's the 8C and 7C chips. And of course, there's that little outlier, the, the custom-made offshoot of the 8CX made for the Surface Pro X, which we're going to talk about. So that's the landscape. And my experience, you're probably curious, is that I never got to play with the 835, but I got to play with the 850. I got to play with a Lenovo-based 850 laptop last year. That was a good one. And honestly, I didn't dislike it. It was fine. Um, even emulating was okay. It was sluggish. It was more sluggish than my MacBook at emulation, as expected. But it ran. Like, the thing is, you have to understand about emulation. It's not like you're clicking something and waiting one, one thousand, one. It's just slower. It just feels like you're like... Got to chill, got to wait for do do its thing, but it's not unusable by any stretch. Uh, but non-emulated, uh, I installed the Firefox Nightly, which is recompiled mm-hmm. for ARM64. This is a year ago when I got this Lenovo. And wow, I honestly felt it was about as snappy as my MacBook and very power efficient and has built-in LTE and all that and no fans. That's the big thing. So the big kind of talking points about that Qualcomm and Microsoft are pushing here are super long battery life, always connected because there's a 4G or 5G radio uh, built into the system. Like you don't have to add the radio usually. Uh, there is also this always on, like so it can run stuff in the background when the lid is closed, kind of like our Macs already do. Uh, and I think Windows 10, some PCs do. I think they can pull their email while the laptop is sleeping. And then, of course, the instant on. Like, And I'm not talking about like you open the lid 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000. I'm talking like you open the lid and it's literally like your phone, yep. like you touch. The- Just like your phone. Yeah. And even the Mac on Intel, my this MacBook, if I open the lid, it's it's very, very short, much shorter than a Windows 10. But it's still like you can still count to 1, 1,000, at least one second before it pops up. So that would be all gone. And I don't know if that's a big adventure. For me, the big adventure is connectivity, fanless, and long battery life. Instant On is one of those things that, that just feels so underrated. It feels like something I would never care about until I actually had it. And I'm like, oh, this is good. It is good. You know, right? I, ju- I just open the lid. And it's just on, like, yeah, like yeah. technology should be. So basically, you know? now we're at the stage where the HCX has got devices coming out, like the Samsung laptop, and that, of course, like offshoots of the HCX, like the Microsoft Surface Pro X. And we're going to get more. But more importantly, as you said, I'm super excited with 7C because... Like yeah. the laptop they showed, and if you go to my YouTube channel, I'll link to it. There's a video of the three 
a reference design made by Compile that they showed at the Snapdragon Summit this year, like earlier this month in December in Maui. And I did a video of the three of them, the C, the 7C reference design, 8C reference design, 8CX reference design. And you can see they scale up in features and, and capabilities. But the 7Cs got me excited because the guy told me the price point of that thing would be $299. And we're talking about 4G yeah. connectivity, and it didn't look like rubbish. And I mean, I mean, it's a reference design, so it's made by Compa. It's never going to ship, right? But it gives you an idea what OEMs can hit. And I think the one I had in hand was six gigs of RAM, 128 gigs, and then 4G, right? Pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, 4G LT is not something that exists at that $300 price point. Like, that's a real value proposition. You know, when when they announced always connected PCs, and they, and they kind of said it was coming to the premium tier. They said, all right, you have you have 4G LTE, and you kind, you kind of look at that and you go, well, I can get 4G LTE in an Intel PC. There are Intel PCs yeah, of with course. great battery life. Yeah. You know, always on, that. that's a hard value proposition to push. At $300 with the Snapdragon 7C, that's very, very real, adding connectivity like that, and thinner and lighter. Yeah, and, and so the big thing that's slowing down the evolution of this ecosystem right now is the lack of 64-bit native ARM apps. Now, if you're a Windows developer out there, consider making your apps so that they will just cross-compile easily by setting a flag uh, between ARM uh, 64 and Intel 64. I would highly recommend, if you, especially if you're an independent developer, you do that. It, it's very easy. Microsoft enables you to do that very easily in Visual Studio and the development tools. As an ex-video game developer who used Visual Studio and had to cross-compile video games for multiple platforms, multiple consoles, I wrote code that would run on PlayStation and Xbox and, like, back in the day, the, the Nintendo Wii. So, like, I know that it's possible to make code that just you flip a define hashtag and off you go, right? So try to code that way because here's the problem we're having. Firefox is right now the only browser it's in beta uh that's 64-bit arm uh chrome there is supposedly um, some firefox is not in beta on arm it's 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 out oh it's out because i'm still downloading yeah. nightly so if you download the actual real firefox like you just don't have to worry about it 64-bit now oh yeah they, they announced chromium and firefox oh. last year at tech summit and firefox was out in nightly's like two three weeks later so it was in nightly's by january so it's it's in production now so okay so you just download firefox and you're done um and yep. then and chrome of course there are we've seen builds out there they exist but there's no <laughs> official and it's also really hard to find them of course you could build your own uh using the chromium i'm not sure i've actually seen seen a build of chrome uh chromium is what i'm saying right obviously right. chromium we've seen uh edge chromium edge chromium of course um but that's that's in beta and dev right now so when edge chromium launches it launches on january 15th it's not going to have an arm 64 build in the stable channel so that's probably going to be for for the stable channel that's probably going to be something like mid-february or or early march yeah so at this point basically what i'm saying is if you get one of these pcs you're going to have to install Firefox as your browser. Chrome doesn't exist as a viable, like you can just download and runs easily and works 64-bit ARM. And that's the problem. It's like, where is Google here? Like why? Yeah. I, I think it's because of Chrome OS and Chromebooks, obviously. But but it's it's annoying because typically they haven't had, they haven't really had any issues making Chrome available on pretty much anything. Um, and then, of course, we have a Microsoft's Office suite that now exists as ARM64, which is good news. And uh, that wasn't the case a year ago when I was using my 850, correct? Oh, no. it. Um, my, Microsoft's own stuff has always been 
pretty good in that okay. area. Because remember, remember they also had Windows RT. Yeah, and that yeah. Office was compiled for that as well, but that was Office 2013 at the time. Yeah. So the only thing about Office is that certain parts of it are still compiled for Intel pretty much to maintain compatibility with plugins. Got it. Okay. So, but it runs much faster because of it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, well, I'm not an it, Office it user, so thing. I don't know. <laughs> you probably use it more than <laughs> I do. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, always, I often wonder how many people actually use Office that much these days. Like all of my stuff happens in the browser. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. So that's the other thing. You can always go to the browser for some of the apps that you know exist in the browser. Um, but finally, the big outlier, like the big one that's holding me back a lot from really being productive on these is Adobe with a Creative Cloud um, yes. suite of apps. And the reason for that is, look, I know how to use Premiere and I, I'm not like, you know, I prefer Final Cut mainly because I, I started with iMovie and I, but I can learn anything. I learned Premiere. I used it. I would switch to Premiere if I could run it on ARM64. I'll be honest with you. Right now, I would not switch, but I'm saying I would probably use one of those uh, ARM-based Windows 10 PCs to not blink an eye at a trade show and fire up Premiere and do some editing if I, if it was available sure. to me. The, like, I'm not, I'm pretty agnostic. Basically, it's like, I have video editing to do. What tools do I have available? Well, I have my MacBook. It'll run iMovie if for a small edit. It'll run Final Cut Pro for a big edit. And then if I had another laptop with me that was like Win 10 and I, I didn't have a super old version of Creative Suite Premiere, uh, and so basically if I bought the subscription, I would use Creative Cloud Premiere. But I would actually be interested in possibly buying a creative cloud at this point because I'm also looking at getting Lightroom and Photoshop update because my versions are old to get it to run on everything. Like, because if I knew I could get it to run on everything, like on a Windows 10 Intel and a Windows 10, you know, Qualcomm laptop, ARM laptop, I'd be like, okay, now I have a reason to spend that kind of money, right? So Adobe, if you're listening, there are edge Adobe cases. Adobe is people. committed. I know, but they, uh, where is it? It's been two years now. Like, you know, <laughs> I, know. Like, I mean, I, there are people out there like me who are lightweight, super hardcore mobile people who want the lightest, thinnest, most connected PCs and don't necessarily concern ourselves too much with performance that want to use Creative Cloud and don't want to have to compromise and necessarily go to an Intel-based machine. I, th I think a, a big part for Adobe is that that, Microsoft kind of legitimized the platform by making its own device. And I don't think Adobe was taking it as seriously as it might be now. It's still going to be a while because all of Creative Cloud is, there's a lot of legacy code in there, a lot of just old stuff, a lot of extension compatibility needs to be built in. Uh, what they're going to do first is something like Fresco, which is something I don't care about. Yeah. Photoshop Elements is another one that like, that's, a, that's in the Microsoft store and I can't wait for that to come. Just because that'll make make life a little bit easier, but but as far as the the core creative cloud apps, I think it's it's uh it's going to be a little while. I, I asked them at Tech Summit, and pretty much all they could say was, "We really can't make promises for someone else's products." Yeah, totally. I mean, look, the reality is. I'm excited. I want Adobe on board. I'm not mad at them. I'm just saying, like, I would like yeah. to see a little more traction. So if somebody's listening there, there's an audience out there that cares and wants this. And you're, you're maybe leaving money on the, on the table here, right? Like, just think about right. that. Um, so let's talk specifically about the Surface Pro X. What do you like the most about it? What don't you like? And I'll tell you what I like the most and what I don't like after. Well, what what I like the most about it is just just what it's what I love about all Windows on ARM PCs, the cellular connectivity. It's thin and light, and um, what I love about that one the most is just that 
for a Windows on ARM PC, it's the fastest. It is super fast Windows on ARM. I was I was talking to Bernie at Qualcomm, who's one of the folks on the PR team mm-hmm. about this, and I was like, dude, if you run the Firefox, I mean, I'm running the nightlies because I didn't know I could just run the regular one, but if you're running Firefox mm-hmm. on this thing, it screams. It feels like last year that Novo, Lenovo didn't feel necessarily much faster than my MacBook or about the same running Firefox. Uh, just fine, basically, as long as I didn't have too many tabs. This year, I feel that the Surface Pro X might be about 20% faster. Uh, it, it's just snappier running Firefox yeah. on ARM with ARM64 than running Firefox native on my MacBook 12-inch that's five years old. Now, you're going to say you're comparing five-year-old Intel, Miriam, with like a crappy M chip to a Snapdragon <laughs> brand new, like whatever, Qualcomm's Microsoft special chip and yes but the reality is that we you know it takes time to get to your destination and sometimes the journey is the most fun part and mm-hmm. i'm really enjoying this journey okay like people were like using core i7 i9 like gaming pcs or like super like heavy duty workstations because they do 4k editing video and premiere are laughing at me or both of us right now about oh we're excited about finally it runs well on arm windows 10 well but we got to get there somehow guys like Performance- eventually Performance and premium are not the same thing. Exactly. If, if the if the most perf- if the best performance was all that mattered, everybody would be walking around with these six pound dedicated GPU Core i9 45 watt processor machines, and that's not what everybody wants. No, I, yeah. to me, I draw the line that if the if it requires a custom power supply that's more than a hundred watt USB Type C power delivery, I'm I'm done. Yes. I I walk away at this point. It's like I put the you know my fingers together like a cross, and I go. Ks- Go away, <laughs> you evil heathens. I do not want to touch you because I'm sick and tired of having to compromise on portability. I can do with weight and size a little bit because I'm pretty, you know, big person and I have I can handle the weight, but I'm just like mm. more annoyed when I have to like carry custom chargers and things like USB C I've, I've started I started USB C when I got my OnePlus 2 review unit and I haven't looked mm-hmm. back. And this is this predates my MacBook 12 inch. So I've been in the USB-C realm forever, and I basically don't even look at what charger I plug my computers in. Like my Microsoft Surface Pro, I have not unpacked the charger that comes with it. I've just plugged it into my no. Huawei 65-watt charger, and I charge it when I first got it. Ditto the HP yep. laptop we're about to talk about. I didn't pull out the AC adapter for that. It's a USB-C adapter, but I don't need it. I have like three or four 65-watt yeah, chargers no out to. there. That's PD. Yep. That's the magic of it. Like my MacBook charger will charge my Huawei laptop, will charge my my Surface Pro X. It's just I can't I can't compromise on that. Um, so for me, what I like about it, it's you cannot believe how thin this thing is by seeing pictures of it. You have to hold it without the case. Yeah. It is something like what six millimeters, five millimeters. What the it's hell thin. thin? It's like I'm surprised yeah. that Lou at uh, Unbox Therapy hasn't tried to bend it and crack it in half yet. Because yeah. it looks like you would crack it in half if you bent it hard. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. It's not fragile feeling. It feels really, really well made. It's a magnesium and aluminum, right? No, it's just aluminum. It's just aluminum? Wow, for aluminum, it feels really hard. Like, it feels much harder mm-hmm. than, than regular aluminum. Yeah, Microsoft usually uses magnesium in its products. Like, the Surface Pro 7 is magnesium. And that's why they both weigh the same, even though this one is much thinner. They both weigh 1.7 pounds. 
Yeah, so the thing that I like is it's thin and really very little bezel overall, I mean, comparatively. Yes. It's not as bezel-less as like uh, an iPad Pro, but again, this is a full PC. And you know, I'm, I'm, I already hear the pitchforks out there. There are people like, Miriam, you know, iPad Pro is, is the shit. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of is, <laughs> but not for me, okay? Like, I understand that some of you out there, to me, it is a legitimate computer, yes. It's more and more, but I'm not quite there yet in terms of replacing, when, especially replacing macOS. I just right. want you all to know that I hear you. I'm not dismissing the iPad Pro as a viable tool. I'm just saying that for me, it's not right. So anyway, it does have quite as little bezels as the iPad Pro, but it's pretty impressive. Super light, super thin. I am a little disappointed though, I have to say, Rich, that when I put the keyboard that I have, I have the keyboard without the pen, like the basic keyboard. Right. It adds a lot of weight. All of a sudden it's it's heavier than my MacBook 12 inch. Oh really? It's that heavy? Yeah. It's wow. it's amazing. And also it adds four millimeters of thickness. So now it's a centimeter thick. Now don't get me wrong, yeah. the keyboard cover is beautiful. It's also necessary. It's absolutely, and that's the thing. It's beautiful. The key feel is really good to travel. The trackpad feels really nice. But when you realize it's necessary, this brings me back to my argument. This is my personal argument. This is not about the Surface Pro X. There are people who are looking for a device like the iPad where the keyboard is separate and you have to buy it and you clunk it on there and you carry it if you need it. Maybe use a pen all the time instead. I get that. But for me, I need the keyboard so much that I might as well be integrated. I might as well have a keyboard deck. And, and that's why I like the 360 yeah. hinge type design. Because here's the thing, like if it was with the keyboard, close to or maybe just a little heavier than my MacBook 12 inch, I'd be like, okay, cool. I mean, you have you get a bigger screen real estate, so I'm in. Yeah, I, I also like that con uh, convertible hinge design. I prefer Something it. Something like, like the Samsung Galaxy Book S, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as soon as you have the cover, it gets pretty heavy. Now, of course, 4G connectivity is built in. I haven't had a chance to test it yet, but I have a Verizon SIM. I'm going to pop in there. Hopefully, it just works. And it's kind of the way you want a computer to be. You want to open yeah. it wherever you are. It connects to whatever it is, and you don't have to concern yourself with what, what it is. And then you can start working. And for me, that requires a keyboard. So in this case... I'm a little disappointed about the way. But honestly, everything about it, the industrial design, I mean, the, the entire Surface line has been exquisite in terms of design for years now. Microsoft knows what they're doing, and it shows. you know. But more importantly, mm -hmm. this thing is the lightest, thinnest, most sexy-looking Surface we've ever seen, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Surface the Surface Pro Intel lineup really hasn't changed that much since the Pro, Pro 3. It still has pretty large bezels. It's still, I think the screen is 12.3 inches. This one's 13. Um, so, so yeah, th this is definitely the best looking. Sir. I'm surprised they didn't do different colors, which they've always done in every Surface um, in the past. I yeah. they redesigned the keyboard for this, which is... I. Actually, love the I love the pen garage in the keyboard. Yeah, that I don't have that keyboard, but there is that keyboard with a flat keyboard. It looks that's like so a sad. carpenter's <laughs> pencil that you can get. Right. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, just the recharge. I've never been a big fan of how pen storage is handled on a lot of different PCs. Like you have the the most surfaces attached with a magnet on the side, and you put that in your bag, and the pen falls off, and it's sitting at the bottom of your bag or there's a pen loop, or there's there's a bunch of different ways. And 
Storing it in the keyboard like that is really smart, and it recharges while it's in there. Yeah. So they didn't send me any of the pens at all. So I have no pen experience on my Surface Pro yeah. X, which sucks. I'm like, come on, like it does suck. This is what like why why didn't you send me the pen as well? So and of course it doesn't come with it. So that's the other thing. Microsoft always ex- yeah. expects you to pay more for the keyboard and 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 pen. I wish it was some sort of bundle where you get a discount if you buy all three or something. It'd be cool. But. Yeah. Also, like I said, I wish they had different color keyboards. This is the, the, the first time they haven't had different colors. At least the keyboards, right? I mean, the machine itself, yeah. we get it. Um, oh, on a yeah, note yeah. about the, the finish and the quality of the materials and all that, it's really great. But uh, it is a fingerprint magnet. Holy crap. Like that. I yeah, got, I, it sure I, is. I believe I just I did my unboxing. I don't have particularly oily hands. I, I You know, it was dry in my house. I wasn't sweating. And I did the unboxing. I looked at the back of the thing and I was like, ugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, you little devil, you. I, I mean, <laughs> it's just like I'm like I mean I'm nitpicking here but look the reality is this is my best ACPC uh, Qualcomm base I hate to say this because it's Microsoft's chip but whatever it's we know it's Qualcomm HCX on steroids based experience and I have to say I'm, I'm very impressed if look folks if you don't want to get a Chromebook because you're worried that at some point you might need a real OS like a real like local storage native apps uh, not, not native apps but local apps kind of experience I would say if you only have to have that local experience very very seldom consider getting one of those Qualcomm based laptops because the battery life, the connectivity, the lightness, all that good stuff really, really pays off. And you can still with Windows 10 emulated run these old 32-bit apps. So perhaps you have an old version of Photoshop like I do that's 32-bit that you can run. And then boom, you know, it's not going to be fast, but you can make that quick edit on that PSD you have floating around that you just happen to have because you've been working on Creative Suite forever, right? That's the kind of thing that a Chromebook doesn't let you do that I think Windows on ARM just enables, which I think is phenomenal. And 64-bit emulation is coming eventually. Yeah, well, I'm wondering if they're even going to bother. You know what I'm saying? Like, should they even bother at this point? Should they? No. I mean, because the performance will be worse than 32-bit emulation. I I feel like they missed a beat by not introducing a new premium PC chipset this year because Intel's Intel's new Ice Lake processors, they're legit. Um, the only ones that have been released so far are the U-series ones, the 15-watt ones, and that's like that Dell XPS 13 2-in-1 that we were talking about that came out of Computex. But they also have Ice Lake Y, and these things, um, just looking at the spec sheet, they're much better than the low-powered ones that that we were talking about earlier in the show. These things are quad-core now instead of dual-core. They have Iris Plus graphics. They have a higher wow. TDP. So, so they could like in that in that ultra portable fanless space, they could. Um, they could be really interesting this year. I'm I'm really curious to see if devices I mean, get announced. I'm not discounting Intel. I'm just saying that there is room for an ARM-based Windows 10 Absolutely. world. And I'm glad to see that Microsoft worked with Qualcomm to show what can be done. Here's if if Microsoft, if you're listening, here's what I would like. In the same way as you took the general basic design of the Surface Pro and turned it into an ARM device with Surface Pro X, please take the experience of the Surface laptop, the 13-inch, make it thinner and lighter, less bezel, and give us a bona fide Surface Laptop X. That's what I want. With Yeah? Are you drooling yet? That's exactly what I want. I will pay. Absolutely. I am not kidding you. I will pay $1,000 1200 even um, as much as 1500 if it's the right specs and the right screen and everything else. I mean, basically, 
it is going to be the right screen because the Surface Laptop is an incredibly beautiful screen. So my point is, I love the Surface Laptops and I love what you're doing with ARM. Hint, 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 consider your next step. Uh, but it has to be thin and light and really sexy because there's a lot of thin and light sexy laptops out there. And speaking of, I want to kind of transition quickly maybe to the HP. Yep. Uh, so we've been teasing about this HP laptop that we both have. I have l just literally unboxed it. I have no seat time with it, but I can tell you a little bit because I got briefed and and you, uh, Rich, have played with yours. So, um, yeah. this, How's the fingerprint situation on that one, I, by the way? Again, I haven't set it up yet. I don't know. Oh. So see, um, see, I thought you were going to transition when you said the Pro <laughs> X was a fingerprint magnet because this one is not. So not incredible. at all. Yeah, so I have a bluish yeah. one. So let's talk about what it is. It's yeah. the HP elite dragonfly. dragonfly and just so you understand where this is where we're going with this why we've picked this to discuss because we both have it and i don't always have a lot of the laptops that rich has but more importantly this thing is really interesting because it's an yeah. enterprise like a corporate business laptop it's for it you know it's to be deployed by it people for medium to large businesses it's not the kind of laptop you would go to you know best buy or amazon or or whatever to buy right like so but it is an ultralight, ultra-thin, 13-inch that's sexy. And this does not happen with business enterprise laptops, right? Right. So, right. T typically, HP's business laptops are just that standard silver aluminum color. Exactly. So I was like intrigued and I said, hey, can I get a review in it? And you got a review in it. And um, mm -hmm. again, I literally got it yesterday. So I just unboxed it. I haven't set it up. It's my, something to do today for, for me. But yes, you're right. My first thoughts was, yeah, completely not a fingerprint magnet. It is machined magnesium, which is kind of yes. insane because usually magnesium is cast. Malted. Um, yeah. And then here's what's got me really tickled about this thing. It is so effing light. Like, yeah. here's what I'm talking about. Like, it is lighter than my MacBook 12, which is super light. And it's definitely, definitely lighter than... Well, which one did they send you? I don't know. Uh, well, see, um, there, there's two. There's the one with the two-cell battery. And there's one with a four cell How do battery, you know? which I, um, I'm not sure because they just told me. Is it a thickness <laughs> they, difference? I don't think so, but the weight is different. If you have the two cell battery, it's 2.18 pounds, which is wild right. for a 13 inch convertible. I mean, the four cell battery, which is what they sent to most reviewers, I think, um, it's 2.5 pounds, which is still crazy. I honestly much. think it's the, the the dual cell because it feels about the same weight as my MacBook, which is about that weight. So it yeah. feels light. And, and my, my whole point I was going to make is that we were talking about Surface Pro X earlier, and I felt that with the keyboard, it was heavy. It's night and day. Mm -hmm. It's really heavy with the keyboard compared to this Elite Dragonfly thing. And so again, this Elite Dragonfly is a convertible. It, it's like got that 360 hinge. It's got a pen. It comes with a pen in the box. And and this is where I'm like, Microsoft, like, can you please play in that league? Because that's what we really want. Uh, how about a Surface laptop that is a convertible instead of a Surface, you know, Pro where you have to clonk the keyboard on? Because when I'm, on, right. when I'm typing on my lap, which I am a lot, I like sitting, I have this beautiful armchair that I just like to sit in and work headphones on focused you know and and i can't use these these uh devices like an ipad or or surface pro device because they literally will not stay on my lap for very long yeah it's tough. so, so it's, it's it's not optimal so basically you know can we get can we get that form factor of that elite dragonfly with the guts of an int of an arm based surface laptop that's kind of what i want so somebody's gonna make that i guess maybe <laughs> samsung is making that with that new uh galaxy uh arm-based uh hcx whatever it's called yeah 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 pretty right? much i mean I you need... know it's the same thing like with that lenovo um 
the one you said. Yeah, you said the, you had the, 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 the whatever. That, it's a actually, that that interesting. It's interesting about that 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 the Nouveau, that chassis exists as a Chromebook, as a Windows 10 Intel, and as, right, a, Windows, and as a Windows tel, 10 uh, uh, 850 Snapdragon base, which is like what? Anyway, uh, that's typical of big laptop companies, though. But this yeah. Elite Dragonfly, dude, for a for a business laptop, I'm blown away by the design and the attention to detail. The ports on this are cool. You have a USB-A yeah. on one side. You have a, a full-size HDMI on the other side. You have two USB-Cs. You have a headphone jack. You have a Kensington lock if you care about that. But I'm saying like this does not sacrifice any thickness or like it doesn't compromise the yeah. sexiness of the thing. So it's very clear that it's possible to make a laptop today that has these ports without... Uh, you know, making compromises. And you're right, that finish is, that bluish finish I have is just gorgeous. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Let me tell you, I, I love HP's Elite Books. And um, a couple things, which I don't think, it's probably not in your review unit either, but um, they have the SureView display. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. For right. privacy. So that's, a, that's, yeah. So they talk about visual hacking, which is when someone's just kind of looking over your shoulder at what you're working on, they could steal your information. So you hit a button on the keyboard and then the screen just goes dark if you're looking at it from an angle. It's super cool. So this is, it's SureView Gen 3. Gen 2, the screen actually looked white if you were looking from an angle. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's super useful. Like if you're, if like, if you're writing an embargoed story in Starbucks. Correct. You can do that now. Yeah, yeah, you know totally. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, there are some other features that are coming we can't talk about because they're under embargo, but but keep an ear yes. on that device because I think, honestly, this is the first time that I've been like, oh, this is a business laptop and it doesn't suck? Yeah, sign me up, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't have any seat time actually using it yet. So you've used it. What What are your thoughts on performance, general battery life, all that stuff? I love it because, well, here's the thing. I've reviewed many Elite books. And Elite Books, the Elite, it's the Elite Book 1000 series is the premium one. And this is more or less a successor to the Elite Book 1030, which is the 13-inch one. So all aluminum. Um, but these things, for the last year or so, have had incredible keyboards. Oh, um, you're right. I noticed that when I test typed on it. It was yes. really good. Yes. And that that is, for me, the biggest feature that matters because I type for a living. And so the fact that they brought that in here, the fact that it's so light and the fact that it has LTE um, makes it kind of perfect. Yep. It's it's easy to bring around. Yep. The typing experience is great. Uh, it's got the performance because it's got a U-series processor. It's eighth gen, um, which is fine. I mean, the thing about business PCs is that they, they need to wait until Intel has a V Pro version of the chip. Right. So it had to be eighth gen. But... Overall, I love it. It's it's almost perfect. Yeah, it's really great. I mean, I, I hope that, uh, you know, if you're just a consumer or a small business owner, you, you look at these because it's like if, if you're deciding you know, to buy something, you, you may, you might don't care about all the enterprise, you know, IT configuration features and, and safe boot and whatever, all that really crazy yeah. BIOS, sure start. you know, sure start, all that stuff. You might not care about that. And that's fine because you might just care about the other stuff, which is really great. And that really makes it competitive versus consumer laptops which is really interesting. Um, does it have the precision trackpad, this one? Because I'm going to have to install the drivers yes. if it does. Oh, good. Because no, HP does. has been really bad about that in the past. Well, they've been bad about that with their consumer laptops. Their business laptops have actually had them for a little while. Oh, that's funny. It's, 
Crazy uh, is the word you're looking for. The, I mean, I had the uh, Folio, right? The leather-bound laptop from HP last yes. year. And I installed the Precision right. Trackpad uh, drivers right away because it was unusable. Like, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is 2019. Like, how can you ship a laptop with such a crappy la- uh, trackpad? Turns out it's just the drivers. So once, It's very frustrating. Once I did it, it was like gold. It was amazing. Um, yeah. Let's switch gears because we have about 15 minutes left and I want to talk about some phone news. There has been some really interesting phone news this week. I know it's like very close to the holidays, but we don't stop working. You have to understand if you're listening to the show and you're not familiar, CS is coming up early January. Rich and I and every journalist out there right now, we're like buried in emails. We're getting hundreds (laughs) of emails a day. We're getting pitches. We're getting devices to try out ahead of CS. We're, you know, we're having to schedule and plan meetings. It's a nightmare. We're super busy. And so it doesn't stop for us. And it doesn't stop for the industry. Like, remember, China does not celebrate Christmas and New Year's, right? I mean, like Mm. they have a different New Year. So the, the world... You know, we're not just living in a world of, you know, everybody celebrates Christmas and New Year. So some of us don't care and some of us have to continue working. And uh, I think if you are going to see us, whether you celebrate Christmas or not, you pretty much have to continue working. Yeah, point. I really hate the timing of this show. It's it's <laughs> rough. So a couple of OnePlus bits of news. Uh, OnePlus announced in a press release yesterday that they're going to be showing at CS a phone that's a concept phone called the Concept One. We don't know too much about about it at this point. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Um, we'll, we'll have coverage for you uh, from the show as as soon as I can get uh, the coverage. I will have it. I'm super excited about this. OnePlus reached out to me. So, um, you know, stay tuned for that. I mean, do we know much else? Do you have anything to, anything to add no, to that, Rich? we do not know anything I mean, else. Um, just that it's called the OnePlus Concept One because there will be other concepts in the future. Right. And it's it's it. to celebrate the six years anniversary of OnePlus. And the other thing that you have to understand is the BBK Group, which owns OnePlus. I mean, uh, I, I know I'm simplifying here. This is much more complicated. But in general speak, BBK is an umbrella company that has under its umbrella OnePlus, Oppo, and Vivo, and and they share technology a lot. These companies. That's why a lot of Oppo phones look like they have similar specs to OnePlus phones, etc. You know, they don't really want you to talk about that much. They don't get they get a little yeah. you know cranky when you bring it up but it's the reality and here's the thing vivo and oppo have shown concept phones yearly at least once a year for a few years now and it's really boosted their visibility in the world created buzz created media coverage and gotten the fans excited how did you remember the first um and i say you not not rich but the audience do you remember the first pop-up camera that was Vivo. That was two years ago. They showed a concept with a pop-up yes. camera. Um, the first uh, under-display fingerprint reader was Vivo as well at CS a few years back. Um, then there was, you know, like right now, the they they just Oppo just had a conference in Shenzhen, uh, like a, earlier this month, right after the summit, Qualcomm Snapdragon summit in in Maui, where they showed an under-display front-facing camera. And that's, as we discussed in last week's show, is probably going to come to the Oppo Find X2. So we're we're going to let you know what's happening. But this might be the first phone with an under-display front-facing camera. So yeah, so that's that's like this concept phone thing. They do this, and it's, it's normal for them. And so BBK Group has been doing this with Vivo and Oppo. It only makes sense that OnePlus now that really has a visible brand in the West, more than even in Asia, would do this. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm excited about it. 
right? Yeah. I mean, I just, I just have no idea what to expect. I think it's going to be cool, whatever it is. It's going to show us it the direction cool. of the future OnePlus phones. And speaking of the future OnePlus phone, completely in parallel with this announcement, there was a huge leak of all the specs for the OnePlus 8 phones. And I say phones because we've known for a while now that OnePlus has been doing the regular and the pro. But there's also been talk of a, of a light version of the OnePlus 8. We talked about that last week's show. And sure enough, somebody leaked the 8. Uh, OnePlus 8 Lite, OnePlus 8, and OnePlus 8 Pro specs. Um, yeah. And so, let's see. I've got an article here from Pocket Now, my good friend uh, Jaime Rivera. Actually, this was written uh, by... Who was it written by? Oh, that was written uh, by... Samuel Martinez. Yeah, that was written by Samuel Martinez. But, uh, so basically... Uh, we're looking at... Let's see. Let's start with the light. So, 6.4-inch OLED... Uh, 8 gigs of RAM, 128 or 250 gigs of storage, MediaTek 1000, so that's the dimensity, that's the dimensity. with the 5G, uh, 4000 milliamp hour battery, triple camera, 48, 16, and 12, we assume that's ultra wide and telephoto for those last second ones, 30 watt fast charging, IP53 rating, uh, and it would start at 4:30 US. Uh, that, and that would be yeah. that would be their very first phone to not include a Snapdragon 8 series processor. That is correct, and it's also their you know their play to kind of catch a lower tier again, which is really smart. Yep. Uh, then we'd get a regular OnePlus 8, which is the same 30 watt fast charging, 4,000 milliamp hour, IP53. The, the IP rating is weird because Samsung never officially announces IP ratings. Um, mm. It would also include NFC, which would be lacking from the original, which tell me the original would only make it to China, because they they've learned their lesson from the OnePlus 2 when we really bitched oh. at them about not having NFC, not to bring a non-NFC <laughs> equipped phone to North America because we like our Google Pay. Um, NFC, so, so we would add NFC support, have a Snapdragon 865, 5G support, triple camera with a 60 megapixel, 16 and 12, and a 32 megapixel selfie, 8 or 12 gigs of RAM, 128 or 256 gigs of storage, and that would start at 472. So, wow, we're talking just like $40 more. Like, wow, how price sensitive are people? <laughs> I mean, no, I get it. Like in the US, people just walk into a carrier store and if the car falls on $1,000, they don't care because they get a subsidy and it's like $3 right. extra a month difference price, monthly price. And that's the price of a coffee. They don't care. But yeah, this course. is like insane. Okay. And then the Pro would have uh, a punch hole for selfie camera, like basically like the Samsung Galaxy, like the hole in the display uh, with a 32 megapixel uh, sensor and a time of flight camera. Uh, so it would have facial. Uh, it would have 3D uh, Face ID, uh, 6.7 inch display, 120 hertz. Uh, that's exciting. Triple camera yes. uh, would be the same as the regular version, but it would have a 10, a 10 times hybrid zoom, like the Reno 10X did. That's uh, interesting. And then the five, the other ones would have a 5x hybrid zoom. So hybrid means the combination of digital and analog zoom or optical zoom. So I'd say like it's probably maybe a three or 5x. Uh, optical plus the hybrid uh, and then the uh, cheaper ones would have a two times or th maybe three times zoom with uh, with the hybrid bringing it up to five uh, and the big device would also have two 2250 milliamp hours for a total of 4500 milliamp hours for and the reason is two is because Oppo has been doing this for a while now you can charge the two cells in parallel simultaneously uh -huh. to get 50 watt super warp charge which would be the same as super VOOC 
that uh, Oppo has. By the way, here's a little tip for those of you out there who have multiple phones, maybe like me, the Oppo charger and the OnePlus chargers are compatible. Same company, you know, BBK again. So I was really surprised to find out that you can plug a OnePlus charger into an Oppo phone and charge it super fast and vice versa. So consider that. And then we're looking at 8 gig 128 for 645, so much higher. Uh, 8 gigs 256 for 716, and 12 gig 512. This will be the McLaren edition. I'm making that up. That's not in the that's not in the leak. <laughs> Would be the 788 dollars. And and as an aside, Rich, I know you have the one plus. 7T Pro 5G McLaren for T-Mobile in your pocket like I do. Oh, but yeah. We talked about it so extensively last week that I don't want to talk about it now. And so I will just not mention it. But you should listen to last week's <laughs> podcast if you want our thoughts on that. I've really been enjoying the uh, coverage and the network and everything else about it. So just keep an eye on that, folks. Keep an eye on that. Right? So... Right. Nothing about wireless charging in these leaks then. Well, huh? apparently not. And it's interesting because some uh, Oppo and Vivo phones have had it in the past. Uh, so I'm not sure what's going on. But this is typical. Like I think uh, OnePlus has been very clear that they feel that fast wire wired charging is the way to go and that they wouldn't adopt wireless charging until they can at least deliver 30 watt. And Xiaomi... And Huawei are close to 30 watt or are at 30 watt. So I think as soon as maybe somebody manages to make 40 watt wireless charging happen, I think we're going to see OnePlus at it because that's what they want. They want a, basically a way for you to fast charge no matter what, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I still want wireless charging in a device. I mean, the, the way that the way that I charge a device is that yeah. during the day it sits on a wireless I'm charging I'm the same pad. with like, you. Like I switch from my Google Pixel 4 to the OnePlus since I'm a T-Mobile customer mm -hmm. and I have a, I'm in a 5G market here in Portland. I, in SF, I don't have it. But yeah, by the way, if you are in the Bay Area, hint, 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 folks, the network's not supposedly existent. It doesn't exist supposedly. But large parts of Oakland have 5G uh, mm -hmm. active and working like a charm right now on low bands. If you have a OnePlus 7T Pro 5G McLaren edition uh, in the Bay Area, you will get 5G in some parts. So just be aware of that. Um, anyway, I didn't want to talk about that phone. God damn it. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Go to last episode, 141, and listen to all the stuff we had to say. All right. Uh, and also the previous episode before that, it, at Qualcomm, uh, Snapdragon Summit, I had Alex Katusian for the Snapdragon 7C8C8CX, but I also had our good friend Gadgets Boy, our YouTube creator, on, and we talked about the OnePlus and our first experience with it. So you should listen to that. Um, all right, this is interesting. The UK plans to ban locked phones, meaning that if as you, we should all exactly right. So <laughs> meaning that the UK is about to pass a law that is going to force carriers and manufacturers to only sell unlocked phones. So. Like, I mean, of course you want that. And I hate the government having to come in to do this, but uh, I'm going to say yes to this. This is, this is, I really, really wish we had this in the US. It'd be so great. Exactly. What real advantage is there to a carrier to sell a locked phone? Well, um, it locks people in. That's why they do it. And locks right, them right. into a payment plan. That's why people do it. They can't switch. So I understand Right, but that. you're already on a payment plan. They can still force you to pay off your device. That's why we have things like bill collectors and stuff. If you just try to run away with the phone. Exactly. Um, 
So there's no reason other than just to kind of screw you. Exactly. And then the other thing is, I think there's a new reason that's becoming more and more important. And I know a lot of people are going to roll their eyes, but look, climate change is real. It's happening. If you don't believe in it, get off my podcast and unsubscribe, okay? But here's the thing. All these phones out there that are in you know, recycling facilities and dumpsters or in drawers that people houses that are locked, that can't be used by these people because, or can only be used on a certain network, it's BS. That's a great point. Right? It's Recyc- It's really hindering recycling. You're going to say, oh, it's really easy to just put an unlock code in. Have you tried putting an unlock code in? There's a lot of unlockers, <laughs> including our good friend David Kogan, who runs an unlocking business, that cannot unlock a lot of the carrier phones in the US, at least initially. And then these phones end up basically unused and unusable and are not recyclable easily because of locked being locked. So I say there's an environmental aspect to this as well. That's a really good now, point. Now, you know, for somebody who changes phones every six months, it's maybe a little bit hypocritical for me to say that. I should probably hang on to mm. my devices a little longer. But the reality <laughs> is, as a tech journalist, I have to stay on top of it, right? So it, Yeah, it is our job. It's our job. But this is good news. I'm excited about it. I'm glad you're excited. Um, if you're not yeah. excited, I mean, I think that even if you don't believe in climate change, First of all, again, get off my podcast. But if you do, you, you probably still want to unlock phones because you're a phone person. So I think you're going to be happy by this. Uh, oh, Windows Phone is going away. Oh, actually, Windows Phone is back. So now it's yeah. a zombie, right? Basically, they killed it and they brought it back. Okay. And they, there's no actual reason why. They Rich, it back. tell tell us all. Tell the story. Okay, so so Windows 10 Mobile end of support was last Tuesday. I believe it was December 10th. And um, and then on, I believe, Sunday, they just kind of updated the support page to say that it's now ending on January 14th, 2020. So the date, by the way, that original December 10th date, that's been set in stone for years. Every time there's a new version of any operating system for Microsoft, they have the end of life date. You can look it up. Um, so that wasn't new. And I have no idea why they wrote it back for a month. Uh, Do you want to take a guess? N- uh, news coverage? I mean, I mean, I thought maybe they're going for for dumbest story of the decade. I don't know. But but um, all I could think was maybe there was some business that they that they that bought into Windows 10 mobile that was just like, hey, we need one more month to migrate. That's all I could think of. I mean, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I, I, I want to say a little eulogy, though, because I feel like Windows Phone had so much. <laughs> delight to it like i really enjoyed that platform the user experience was so strong and great and you know it's really sad that it never got the traction i knew it was doomed from pretty much the moment that google decided they weren't gonna play ball because this is this is it this is it this is where you lose right is that why you think that that it failed i totally think that we're seeing google i think we're probably seeing the same thing as we're seeing with chrome not coming as a 64-bit version for for windows 10 right now it's it's you know, I I don't think Google is inherently evil, but I feel that Google in the last few years have has kind of gotten more like you know traditional in its in its business uh, approach by being a little bit more uh, cutthroat, and yeah. and that's what we're seeing with uh, we saw with Windows Phone back in the day. I mean, they were, remember they were adamant, like they were just like they didn't want want Windows didn't want they didn't want Microsoft to have a leg to stand on. And remember, this is the no, Balmer days no. too, right? I think if Sadia Nadella had come along earlier and 
I think they would have killed it. Earlier. I think they would have. Well, just the cynic and you, my the cynic and me, I should say, could could agree with you there. But I think that Bomber was into devices. Sachin Adele has always been more about. That's exactly the why strategy. I think that Google probably would have been more chill about it. You know what I'm saying? They would have been yeah. like, oh, okay, well, you know, I mean, by the time Sadie came along, those Google. Google didn't care. Windows Phone was dead already. They'd already killed it, pretty much. And I'm not saying yeah. Google's the only one By who killed it. There's a lot of people who killed Windows Phone, like Microsoft being number one. <laughs> they I really blame Microsoft, yes. Listen, I, my, this was a company that, that put the PC first and always did. My, mobile was always a second-class citizen to Microsoft. Absolutely. In a world where, where Apple and Google were willing to make mobile a first-class citizen. And you just can't win that way. No. That's... In a That's world where Microsoft, sorry, I, I don't know, that, that sounded like the title of a good movie, like the beginning of like yeah. a, one of those trailers. Um, but look, I, I had a lot of respect for Windows Phone. I would have liked it to be a valid, a viable third player, but that was not the reality we lived in. And I think Microsoft was a big part of it. I think honestly, the Nokia acquisition and the whole debacle around that was a big part of it. And I also think that... Uh, Google had a big part to play because for me, as at the time, the reason I really had a struggle using Windows Phone versus iOS or Android was I couldn't seamlessly use my Google services very well. Yeah. And uh, there were workarounds, but it was always a hassle. And so, and you know, the lack of things like Instagram become, coming really late and, and others like, I mean, it was just never, it was just never there. And so I shed a tear for the awesome... Uh, creativity behind the experience and and some of the great memories of lov lovely Nokia phones I had for a while and and some others some Samsung and HTC phones as well. Um, I would have loved to yeah. see a Surface phone, uh, but well, now we have a Surface phone though. Yeah, we kind of do, but it's not the same, Rich. It's coming. I know. No, no, not at all. No, no, no. Uh, no. But Windows Phone shed a tear, but I'm kind of excited that it's coming back as a zombie because they killed it on the tenth, then they resuscitated, and then yeah. now it's back for a month. So um, it's like just a mess. So with here's what I'm gonna say to you, listeners: uh, Please be cautious this holiday season. Of course, keep an eye out for drunk drivers and all the usual stuff you have to be cautious about because people are stupid during the holidays they get stressed and uh, but big caveat be super cautious this year because you're going to find zombies windows phone zombies out there <laughs> all right so i just want you to know to be careful out there on this holiday season because of the zombies all right <laughs> um yeah so that's that's it i mean did you like do you have any last words about windows phone like were you a fan did you uh do you course. have regrets are you sad i mean i i got my start reviewing uh reviewing windows phones because uh nokia had a very very strong community and i kind of fell in with that and and i got really into it and i i kind of watched as as microsoft let it all fall apart yeah you know i can relate you know no nokia nokia also kind of took over that market in such a way that that there was no incentive for other vendors to really come in there and and make a great device and i thought that hurt the ecosystem that totally well. hurt the ecosystem yeah because yeah. look at how well android and uh, is done with that, and even how Microsoft yeah. Windows PCs have done with that, despite the Surface ecosystem, right? So it could have yeah. it could have happened. It could have been simultaneous. Uh, my big my big thing was um, you, you touched on something I thought was really interesting is that I got my start through Nokia as well. Like I I yeah. was you know basically a 
a uh, in 2005, 2006, a budding blogger, and and uh, they had a program at the time called Word of Mouth World, Bomb World. And if you were like a budding blogger, you could email them and say, "Hey, I'm starting. Here's my here's my here's my URL and my YouTube channel. If you, oh, this is actually before you do. Here's my you know where you can find my content." And you, you know, if they if they checked you out and if they approved you, they'd send you devices. And that's what got me started. Like I got Steve Litchfield in the UK, who is a, a longtime journalist and blogger and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, phone guy, uh, got me hooked up. He said, here, t- I talked to these field people and I did. And they said, yeah, here I have a phone. And I started reviewing the N series. And, and it's the same with you, I guess. But later on with the, the Lumia yeah. program, right? So Well, what, what is that, did that program that you were talking about turn into Nokia Connects? Correct. Yeah, point. basically, yeah. I think so. So that's Eventually, the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So my my point is, what I'm saying is that, like, I want the companies that are out there to to understand that you can't just seed your devices and whatever to like, you know, the big guys. You should really look out to the right. up and coming content creators, whether they're on, you know, whatever platform it is, TikTok now, whatever. What about these kids today, Rich? I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, get off my lawn, like you know. But I mean, like seriously, like I think that. We need to give everybody a chance. And I could not have had a chance to become a tech journalist and accomplished one, like ended up working at Engage and all that, if I hadn't had that seed initially of Nokia believing in me uh, and and giving me devices. Because it's really hard. I was actually going to carrier stores back then um, in 2005, 2006, and buying the phones and returning them within 10 days. In California, we had a law that they couldn't charge restocking fees. You actually had to get every th- your entire money back. Oh. So I'd spend like the first day unboxing and I could use the phone extensively for two or three days and then I'd bring it back, you know, but it wasn't sustainable, <laughs> right? Like, you know how it's impossible yeah. to do that long term. So I'm glad I yeah. finally got the hookup. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah, absolutely. That's the show, folks, really. Um, Rich, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Well, they can always find me on NeoIn. I write a ridiculous amount of content all the time. Um, and then, of course, on Twitter is probably the best place to, to just find me doing my thing. It's at the Rich Woods, And um, I also tweet all the time. You do tweet a lot. I enjoy Twitter. I, I just I just control the people that I follow. Yeah. No, I, I wish I tw- had a bit more time to tweet. I, I'm an occasional tweeter. I would suggest you look at my Twitter feed, but I don't think I tweet as much as you or David Roddock, for example. But yeah, you know where to find me on Twitter, folks. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character, but without the vowels, like Tankerl. And on Instagram, that's the same handle, at Tankerl, T-N-K-G-R-L. So... Uh, Twitter is where you want to connect with me about this podcast. If you have comments, ideas, thoughts, you want to run something by me, argue with me, whatever, Twitter. And then if you want to watch pretty pictures of phones and taken with phones, that's Instagram. And you can argue with me about pictures there if you want. Don't argue with me, okay? And then, <laughs> and then, and then there is, uh, of course, the YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Miriam Joar. That's where the URL is. Uh, Miriam Joar is my full name. If you don't know how to spell that, go to my Twitter account. You'll find it. Uh, it's a channel with a complimentary content, so extra stuff for the podcast. So you get like unboxings, hands-ons, that kind of stuff. So check it out. Subscribe to the channel. Like the videos, all that good stuff. Tell your friends. Help me grow the channel. And the podcast, if you just stumbled on this and you enjoyed it, we do this weekly. I have a guest weekly usually a media guest, and we are mobiletechpodcast.com. That's URL. If you want to subscribe, there's an old school RSS feed there. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Pocket Cast, Overcast, Spotify even, and type in mobile tech podcast, Tank Girl, and you'll find it. 
please do me a favor, rate the show, basically write a review or whatever. If your platform allows you to do that, please do it. It helps a lot. The other thing that helps is sponsors, and we have a really great sponsor on the show, been with us for a long time. It's audible.com, the audiobook people. Yes, if you love books as much as I do, you really ought to give yourself the opportunity to listen to some books in addition to reading them. Maybe you're doing a road trip or something and you want to have some some fun stuff to do while you're driving. That That's what Audible is all about. So check out Audible if you want a deal and you want to support the podcast. We have a 30-day free trial. But the nice thing about it is you get to keep a book at the end and you support the podcast even if you decide to not stay. So check it out. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech, the URL. So that's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And I'll have it in the show notes below and on your RSS feed. It'll be there as well. So check it out. Please support the podcast. Click through if you're not already audible.com user because it'll help even if you don't stay with a platform. But of course, try to stay. It's fun. It's not expensive and you get tons of really great books. If you drive a lot, this is really a no-brainer. So that's it, folks. Uh, Rich, thanks again for being on the show. You rock. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, well, of course. This is also such a perfect timing with this Surface Pro X and, and the HP stuff. So again, thanks for being on the show. I'll have you again. And folks, there'll be another show next week. I'm not stopping even for the holidays. So stay tuned. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.